0: Glad to be with you today. Thank you. Every one of you have taken the time and effort and energy to come and be a part of the morning service together in this room. We're thankful for you. I'm glad we have the Bible. I'm glad we have the beauty of the Bible, aren't you? And uh, as I studied and and meditated on this passage throughout the week, we were on vacation, so I had a little bit of time to go fishing and to, um, to swim and play tennis and basketball, and now I feel really like I'm every bit of 55 years old right now. I'll tell you that much right now. I'm creaking and leaking, and all kinds of stuff here. It's just it's a miserable process, aging. But we're having a good time, and we took our five youngest kids. They're still single, and we had a great time. Thank you for allowing us to be away. And it was just an enjoyable time together. But we spent a lot of time as a family. We went through the book of First Peter and studied that each day and enjoyed uh, that study, but also anticipating being with you this morning in Acts chapter 21. Of course, the book of Acts, we've been taking time to go through it and making some applications from 2,000 years ago, the church, to what it is in 2022, today. And there's a lot of applications. You know the Bible, these stories that we just read just a few moments ago, over 1,900 to 2,000 years ago, that took place, and yet very applicable to your life and my life today in 2022. We still have the same common enemy, the world, the flesh, and The devil. We still have a wonderful Jesus who wants the whole world to come to him. We still have missionaries and people who are willing to to take the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul did. But now we've come uh, 20 years from this passage of Scripture, at least 20, excuse me, between 18 and 20 years ago, Pentecost took place. So that's when, uh, if you look at the book of Acts, we find that in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus goes up. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. Chapter 3, the local church is empowered to go out and share the gospel of Christ. And of course, in that process, many things took place, discipline in the church, problems in the difficult, difficult problems that took place and surface in the church. That's normal. That's normal. That's what happened. We have human beings. God gave us His Word. He gave us His Spirit. He gave us His body, the local church. And you need all three of them if you're going to be successful. You need God's Word and love it. Read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Talk about it. You need the Spirit of God to have have liberty within your soul. One of the things we know that when we get saved, before you're saved, the Holy Spirit is on the outside of you wanting to get inside. He's a perfect gentleman. He'll only come in when you invite Him. You'll need to, you'll need to listen to his conviction about our sin, about the righteousness that we need in Jesus and judgment to come. But whenever you do invite the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes inside. Make sure he's not lonely in his house. You invite him to come in. Talk to him. Let him talk to you. Give him liberty to tell you when something's not right. Something needs to be given attention to. Whenever you got a bad attitude or a bad action or a prideful moment or an arrogant spirit or critical, and he brings that to your attention, quickly admit it and quit it, and say, "You know what? I'm wrong. God's right. Let him have liberty to and respond to His Holy Spirit." How many things would be better if we were devoted and uh, devoted to the Scriptures and responsive to the Spirit? And then, number three, involved in the church. A church is not just something you can take or leave. Uh, you need it. God made you to be a sheep and to be together. And I'm so glad God gives us this model throughout the Scriptures. The history of the early church is recorded for us in the book of Acts. The how-tos are recorded for us. Th- at least half of the New Testament, Apostle Paul is responsible for giving us half, not in volume, but in books. And he is the author, and he is the, seems to be the main character uh, Peter kind of falls off the pages of the book of Acts not too long uh, after, the, after book, chapter 15 or so. And then Paul begins to continue to be the main character after his conversion in chapter number 9. He comes to know Christ. And for many years now, he has been a missionary serving the Lord. He goes on three missionary journeys, one with Barnabas, kind of a short one. Uh, only about 1400 miles was recovered there. The, The longest one was his second missionary journey, 2800 miles round trip from the time he left until he came back. And then the third one is where we find him now. He is coming back through. Look at it real quickly with the map just to help you understand a tad bit about Paul's journey. You can see that his third missionary journey, he starts off in Antioch where he originally left. He did come down to uh, Jerusalem during this time, but he starts back there, continues on to Tarshish, and that's his hometown, and no doubt uh, he, spent, he spent at least probably six or seven years, uh, I should say at least four years, potentially seven years in Tarshish, his hometown, after he got saved and went to, to Damascus and Jerusalem and over to Tarshish, then Diconium, the Iconium, this is third missionary journey going through there, and then he spends three years in Ephesus, that is Asia Minor, modern day Turkey and then uh, up to Troas, and then over into Macedonia, where he is going to several different places, preaching the gospel, some places, spending time there, Um, and winning the lost, discipling people, wherever he went, he evangelized. But these other places passing through these areas went to Thessalonica, then over Berea, then down into Greece and Athens. And, of course, that's the church at Corinth that uh, we're more familiar with. They have two books of the Bible given to us, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then, of course, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Those are two books that speak of the coming of Christ and His coming again. And then goes passes through there again, goes up to that direction. Now he has got some friends with him, and they are loaded with money. They have money that they've collected over a year period of time, and he wants to go back to Jerusalem to the mother church, to where it all started, where he complicated the gospel early on tremendously. The Bible says he caused havoc in the church, caused them great problems. But now he's coming back with seven Gentile converts, people who had been saved in his missionary journeys, who had been stabilized as children of God and servants of Christ, and now they're coming with him back. When he comes back, it's kind of interesting. He goes through several ports and different places. Um, And now into islands, and he's making his way. He meets with the Ephesian elders there in Miletus there, right outside of uh, Ephesus there, and then continues on to other islands. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul and one man who was a liberal theologian, named Mr. Ramsey's friend, he was a Scottish man, he was very liberal, had lots of doubts about the Scripture, but he began studying the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul, in his writings, confirmed, made him a liberal to a conservative, Uh, It's interesting because he studied out, Paul mentions 32 different countries of the world in his writings and provinces, 54 cities, nine islands. And historians, geographical historians have gone through and checked it all out, every one of them with complete accuracy of where it was at the time. You know, just exactly, just so you could think about him naming 32 countries or provinces of the world and 54 cities in our Bible alone, nine islands. And after Mr. Ramsey studied that, he said, good night, this is amazing how he could have lived that long ago, named them all with explicit and specifics, and they're all accurate geographically. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Aren't you glad if you didn't know that you can still believe in Jesus? (laughs) You can still be conservative and believe what the Bible says even without that information. But I'm kind of glad that even geography proves the Bible is true. And I'm grateful for that. But someone who traveled abroad, now he's coming back to Jerusalem. And it really is a sad story, in my opinion. Apostle Paul, for as great as he was, and of course they didn't know. This was the first generation Christian. They didn't know he would write almost half of our New Testament. They had greatness among them, but they didn't realize who he was. And quite frankly, they treated him like dirt. If you read his litany of things he went through in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's unbelievable. Not only by the world at large, by even Christians. We have three things here that happened in three different people in this passage of Scripture. I'll take the time to go over it, too, but you can notice three groups of people. Number one, you'll see the mother church is there. Now, all the apostles, they're not mentioned. I don't think the apostles are there at the time. Obviously, James is already beheaded, and Peter is probably preaching in the place of his, and James has gone off, and Thomas down to India, and they've probably dispersed about the world. But at the time that I think Paul comes, 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, the apostles are not at the home church. Now, we do find that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is probably still the pastor. He is later martyred by the king. But he is in charge of the church. It looks like he's the main mover and shaker. All the apostles are gone. And Paul has been preaching the gospel now for many years. Most people believe he was converted sometime around his 32nd birthday. Sometime in that area. And now he is pushing 60. And uh, he, is, he is in that area and he has been all over the world. has received great, great persecution, but also great blessings. But all in the back of his head, he remembers his early days and he loves his people. He loves the Jewish people. Can you just take for a moment and look, hold your place there and turn to Romans chapter number nine, would you please? Romans chapter nine. And let's look at this and you can see a little bit of his heart. He loves the Jewish people and he remembers how much he hurt the church. Verse number one of chapter nine of Romans, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness of the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why would he be so upset? For I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. It's interesting how much he loved the people there. And he had a heart for them. He wanted them. If you'll look at chapter 10, verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, for Jewish brothers and sisters, is that they might be saved. He wanted them to come to know the Lord. He he was a man with a passion. Unbelievable. I think he was the maximum Christian. But he was underestimated, certainly, in the eyes of the people. They didn't understand him. His ministry had been primary to the Gentiles, which was prophesied by Ananias, the first Christian that would come to him and would anoint his eyes and give him his vision back miraculously by the Holy Spirit, lay hands on him and pray for him and see him get baptized. That guy early on, the Lord told him, he said, this guy's going to be a prophet to the Gentile people. To opposite, he loved the Jew and wherever he would go, the Jews gave him the most problems. Oh, he got problems from the Gentile believers of the world and by the, by the leaders of the world, but the Jews especially hated him. He references in the, book of, in the book of Acts chapter 20 with the Ephesian elders by the line and weight of the Jew. And yet his heart beat that they would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're here today, you do not know Jesus. God wants you to be saved. And there's someone burdened for you. And if no one else, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, whose burden that you would get the gospel of Christ this morning. In Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul makes his way back. On his way back, there are several warnings he receives. Spirit-filled believers in the city of Tyre tell him, by the Holy Spirit, you should not go into Jerusalem. If you go there, you're going to have all kinds of problems. The Spirit of God had already told him that what advanced notice that he would have inside, he would have chains or afflictions, incarceration and afflictions were in his future. He said, I don't care. None of it moves me. And that passion kept him going. Agabus, while he was at his friend Philip's house with his uh, four girls and his wife taking care of him, Agabus, the prophet of the day who had prophesied other things in the Scriptures, came and took Paul's belt and wrapped his hands and his feet and said, The man wearing this belt will experience what I'm showing you if he goes to Jerusalem. But Paul said, "Don't, don't, Don't bother me. Don't cause me, don't weep, and don't cause my heart to break any further. I'm ready to go. Whether or not he should have won or should not have won. I don't know. I I tend to think the Spirit of God made it very clear that the Bible would be a little bit different, and the rest of the story would be different if he had been probably a little more uh, less self-willed and more responded to the Holy Spirit of God, is my impression. I may be wrong. I've been wrong many times before, so I may be wrong again. However... I think what happened, God knew how to take it. And something teaches me that strong-willed leaders sometimes have very strong opinions. And uh, whether they should be or, or not be persuaded otherwise, we still thank God that he uses. He has nothing to use but human beings. <laughs> and he used Paul. And he knew how to draw a straight line with a cricket stick. He knew how to make the, even uh, a stubborn will or something of that nature work out for his own purpose. I do think he knew this, that Paul was, he loved Jesus, and he was committed to his will. I think that is something that's obvious there. Nonetheless, Paul shows up. He comes back to Jerusalem, to the mother church. I shared with you one of those. There's three things you want to look at. Number one, the mother church. Number two, the mob. There's a mob that's going to surface on the scene here. It's Pentecost. Some Roman historians teach us that there are over two million Jews could have possibly, Jewish men from all around the world could have descended upon Jerusalem on that time. I've been to Jerusalem by way of your kindness to Linda and I to get to go there a few Decembers ago, and I can't even imagine having that many people at that time of history. But there would be millions of Jewish men who have come from all over the world to be there at Pentecost. It's one of the reasons Paul wanted to be there. Because he knew he'd have the greatest opportunity to hopefully in his logical mind to impact people at the end of his life with the gospel. He would do his best to encourage people, and he was bringing seven Gentile men who had been saved in his ministry, each of them having a bag of money to be presented to the church of Jerusalem to encourage them and hopefully encourage their hearts and get an audience to tell more people about Christ. When he showed up, that's not what he got. He, the mother church did not, in my opinion, treat him the way he should be treated. The mob, they would be, as what mobs do. And then we find the man, Paul. With that in mind, let's take a few moments and just walk through this passage of Scripture. I'll make a couple of comments. Let's continue if we can. I'm going to ask you to back up, if you would please, to verse number 17. Or verse 16. As they came down, they went into also to a certain disciples of Caesarea, and brought unto him one nascent. A, of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. I think it's beautiful to see that this man, an older man, had been faithful to Jesus for a long time, exercised great generosity, and housed. Paul, Paul uh, was taken care of, his lodging was taken care of by an older saint who loved the Lord. I just want to say, this church is full of great older saints who have been faithful to the Lord, doing the right thing the right way for a long time, and I think for the right reason, I thank God. The strength of this church often is in the gray hairs that you see around you, and those of you who have colored your hair, those people too as well. Uh, How thankful I am for, uh, don't you just love gray hair? I just love gray hair. Yeah, I'd rather have it turn gray than loose. That's for sure right there. Nonetheless, we find that... uh, ...opportunity to share uh, his with all to house the Apostle Paul on his journey into Jerusalem. Let's continue verse 17. And when they were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us. How? That's because he had money with them. How many appreciate receiving people who bring money to you? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's about the best thing. We have no offer of gratitude or appreciation apart from the fact that they were glad to see him. Verse number 18. And the day following, Paul went in with us to James. He's the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And all the elders were present. doesn't say any of the apostles were present, but the leaders with, with Paul, with, uh, with James. So the leadership of this church, now 18 to 20 years old, and when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. He gave them missionary reports and told them, this is what God's done. This is the folks that got saved. Trophimus, tell, tell them your story. And, uh, and, and Sopater, tell them what God did to save you. And Timothy and, and each of the men, he would probably give them testimonies. And they would tell what happened to them. And when the church heard, when James and the elders and the leaders of the church heard the report. They rejoiced. They were glad. Look, if you would please, verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They said, praise God. And said unto him, thou seest, brethren, how many thousands of Jews which believe they are all zealous of the law. And they informed thee that thou teachest all Jews that are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that thou that they oughtest to be ought not to circumcise their children, neither uh, to walk after the customs. Which is it there? What is it therefore? The multitude must needs to come together, and they will hear that thou art come. So they said, you know, it's great all the missionary, missionary things, but here's what their heart was focused on. They said, you know what, Paul? That's great. Yeah, I'm glad. Those testimonies were wonderful. He said, however, he said, there's going to be a lot of Jewish men here. They're looking for you because they have heard. And, of course, what they heard was not accurate totally. They had heard that that he had taken Trophimus into the temple and defiled the temple as a Gentile. They supposed he had done that. Trophimus, one of his converts in the Gentile world. They supposed that he went out and spent his whole ministry trying to tell people, you don't have to circumcise your kids, you don't have, to, keep, you don't have to, do, to acknowledge anything that Moses told you, and that's not what he did. He brought them Jesus. He told the Gentile believers exactly what they all decided in, in, in Acts chapter 15, that it, the Gentiles who got saved, they didn't need to keep the law of Moses, but what they did need to do was not offend themselves by committing fornication. He said, you, you've got to abstain from fornication. That's biblical. Nothing that will quite uh, hurt you as bad as immorality. Uh, immorality is a sin against you. You're sinning against yourself when you're immoral. He said he abstain said, from fornication. He said, he said, don't offend other people who are weaker than you by taking liberties to, that you have at the expense of a weaker brother or sister. Don't offend others. He told them that by not eating meat that was offered to idols. There's nothing wrong with meat, period. There's, they're just dumb gods. He said, but if it offends another brother, don't, don't offend them. And then don't offend God by eating things that are strangled or drinking blood because God values the blood. The life of the body is in the blood. And he says, I, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He said, don't offend God. With those things, don't offend other people and don't offend yourself. That was the three things that came out of that Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. But he says uh, they taught some other things. And now the leadership of the church, the mother church, instead of protecting him and loving him and rejoicing with that and standing up and supporting him, they said, you know what, Uh, we're a little nervous. There's guys coming here. They're Judaizers, and they've heard what has been said about you, and they're going to they're probably do some things that they shouldn't do. And rather than to protect the apostle Paul, they came up with a plan. Here's their plan. Let's follow along in the Scriptures if we can, please. And the Bible says in verse 24 and now, or I'm sorry, verse 23, Do therefore this, that we say unto thee, We have four men which have a vow on them. They've taken a Nazarite vow. Take them, take them take, and purify thyself with them, and be at charge with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those whereof they are informed concerning thee, and nothing but that thou thyself also walketh, or, walkest orderly and keepeth the law. As touching the Gentiles, we believe. You know, we, we know about the Gentiles. We've, re- we've written in, in Acts chapter 15, and concluded that they observed no such thing save only to keep themselves from being offered to idols or meat offered to idols, or things offered to idols, from the blood and from strength and from fornication. Verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day purified himself with them, entering into the temple and and signifying the accomplishments of the days of purification until an offering should be Offered for every one of them. It's interesting. He said, you know, here's what we're going to do. There are four men who have taken a Nazarite vow. They let their hair grow out. They haven't touched anything dead. They haven't drinking anything from the vine. And they're, 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 going to, they're coming back at Pentecost, and, and they're going to end that vow. And they're going to shave their heads, and they're going to purify themselves and spend the Pentecost showing that they're ending their vow. How about you jump in and do it with them? You jump into it with them, and you, you do the same thing. Shave your head, put on the white clothing, purify yourself. And when you worship, you do that, and, and then we'll give an offering. And, and maybe some folks, you believe he even had to pay for the own offering for him and the four men. This was the idea of the mother church. A church without power and without protest. A church that, in my opinion, should have stood strong, but now they're compromising with those who do not believe the truth of the Scriptures. You know, you and I could be a church like that. There are reasons to stand. I think about Jude in the Bible when Jude said, you know, it's a time when I love to walk, write to you about a common salvation, but I am now challenge you to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. This church came up with this plan. What's interesting is that Paul just said, okay, if that's what you think is best, I'll do it. You see the submissiveness. You see the yieldiness. You see the humility in a man who really deserved more than this. It would have been good if the whole church just had said, you know what? We'll go with you. We'll surround you. We'll protect you. We'll help you. But instead, they went to a silly means of, of manipulation. A way in which they just figured out in their own logic what would be best. And asked this old weathered, servant of Christ, to shave his head and to assimilate with four other men and walk around. And he did it. I don't know. I think Apostle Paul, he says later in his past, or he said earlier in the book of Corinthians, he said, you know, I'll become all things to all men. He said, you know, if it will help get someone saved, then I don't care. He said, I, I, I count, I, I, none of these things move me because I count not my life dear to myself. You see the humility here. Not sure if I understand the reasoning. We see the humility that's found in the apostles. By the way, friend, do you have humility? Are you a humble person? Does it have to be done your way? Does everyone have to think the way you think and do what you, need, what you think needs to be done and, and to feel the way you feel about things? Boy, pride hides. It's inside of me and it's inside of you. We see this weathered servant of Christ. Yeah? Okay. For seven days, he walks around in that temple worship, and of course, there are hundreds and thousands of Jewish men from all around the world, I'm sure, shoulder to shoulder. But these four men and Paul standing close together, most likely much of the time. And we see that in that time, seven days go by, nothing happens. And then on the eighth day, after him being there seven days, some Jews from Asia, possibly from Ephesus, where he was lying in wait for the Jews there, those folks who had been been challenging him in Ephesus during that time, folks who did not believe the preaching of the gospel, or if they did, they still wanted to force the Jew, the Jewish uh, worship and the, the law upon the believers. They spotted him, and let's see what happens. The Bible tells us, if we can please, in verse number 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews that were of Asia went, which... Uh, which they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law of this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus in Ephesian. They knew him. He was from their town. Whom they had what was that say whom they what? Suppose that Paul had brought into the temple and all the city was moved, and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut, they brought him outside of the holy place into the outer outer courts. and as they went about to kill him, tidings came into the chief captain of the band. This is of course the Roman. The Roman government official and all Jerusalem was in uproar they had a real fight on their hands who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down into them and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers they left beating the Paul then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done and some cried one thing and some another and among the multitude When he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded them to be carried into the castle. When he came to the stairs, as it was so, as it so it was that he was born of soldiers, soldiers were surrounding him for the violence of the people. And for the multitude of the people followed after, crying away with him. You remember hearing those words before? And as Paul was to be led into the temple in the, in the palace. He said unto the chief captain, "May I speak unto thee?" Who said, "Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou an Egyptian? As before these days, madest an uproar and led us into out to the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers." And Paul said, I, "I am a man, which of a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. My city was not average; it was an above average city, very well known." And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license or permission, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And then, and when there was a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, you can read the rest of the chapter 22 to see it. Basically, you understand what took place here. The, the, the people the people got a hold of him and the Jews began to accuse him. They stirred up the mob. The mob took him and you could just imagine the punches, the gut punch, the kidney punches, the hit on the heads. Sure, he's a bloody mess. Being dragged outside and everybody trying to get a cheap shot, trying to hurt him. They had every intent to kill him. The stir caused the uh, Roman police to come. They came and delivered him. When they heard the police come, they stopped beating him and left him. And they surround him with soldiers and trying to figure out what's going on. And what did he do? What happened? And one person said something else. The person said something else. And at the end of the day, the, the, the captain is confused. He'll just take him, take him to the castle. Take him up to the castle. And they take him up to the castle. And he's standing there getting ready to go. Looks like he got a little elevated place. And he's high above the people. And, and then he says, Hey, uh, do you ever, can I ask you something? And of course, Laius, who is the, the chief captain, said, do you speak Greek? I thought maybe you were some Egyptian murderer that led 4,000 people out in the wilderness to kill people, some vigilante or something. He said, no, I'm a Jew. And I'm from Tarsus. That would be a Greek-speaking area. You know Tarsus. It's not a, not a regular town. It's something everyone knows about it. He said, do you mind if I talk to my people? And he said yes, and he talked to him. But he talked to him in the Jewish language, in the Hebrew tongue. And you'll see in just a few moments, if you read Acts chapter 22 and later in our study, several things happened during that time. And, of course, the Apostle Paul would go from being a, uh, a free man to incarcerated for much of his rest of his ministry. I wanted to share with you three things real quickly. I've already given you my premise. But I want you to think about the Mother Church, first of all. No, know, a church is you and me. It's not a building. It's, uh, it's not a nomination. It's an organism made up of people, you and me. They're together. We have a responsibility, and the Bible says we're the pillar and the ground of truth. We're a little bit of light in a dark world. And our job is to protect and propagate the truth. To stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The problem with many churches is they have they found themselves weakened. And they're weakened because the pulpits are weakened by pastors such as myself who fail to give the truth on a regular basis and stand. They fail because Christians are very comfortable to attend church and try to get a, a, a religious form of religion without having the power of a real right relationship with Jesus. And we don't stand the way we should stand. In our community... As a group, as a unifying group, they were more interested in taking care and making sure there wasn't too much of a problem at the end of the day rather than standing with truth and with the fact that God wanted everybody to be saved, the Jew and the Greek. They caught into the teaching that was in the Judaism, and once again, 20 years of existence. And sometimes the longer something goes in, in AIDS, the more plateau it becomes. Some of you, you are much more vibrant for Jesus after you were saved two or three months and two or three years and six or seven years than you are now. You've kind of gotten used to the dark. You've gotten used to sitting, soaking, just watching the world go by. You used to be glad to go out on the bus route. You used to be glad to go visit a, bus, a Sunday school class. You used to be engaged. You had no problem. If something to be done, you were the first to raise your hand. But that's been many years ago used to have strong standards, and now you've weakened and weakened and weakened and weakened. Now we can't understand. We got used to the dark. This mother church had some issues, and it's the same issues that I can have today and some of us have today. I'll continue the message tonight as we talk about the mob. I want you to ask yourself in reading this afternoon and think about this. What was going on inside of the man? What was it that made Apostle Paul so significant? What was it that kept him going against the grain, taking on all the things, and even after, his, after being beaten and, and bludgeoned and, and dragged up the steps, an opportunity to say, and you can read chapter 22, and you'll hear men and brethren. I want to talk to you about something very important. He referenced himself being a Jew. He referenced Ananias being a Jew. He told them, of the gospel, and they came to one word, Gentile, and they instantly began to take their jackets off and stir up dust and start throwing things. And, and of course, he was speaking the Hebrew tongue, and the chief captain had no idea what he was talking about and why they changed so quickly from listening intently to coming into a frenzy. What was it that motivated him? Why did he take on that? Why didn't he finish his ministry sitting under a bam bam tree drinking lemonade? Why did he keep on going for the Lord? And what will keep you going on for the Lord? What would keep me going on? I love this statement, all of us, all the way. Would to God that every one of us finish strong. Oh, you can't do maybe what you used to do with energy, but we can do anything God wants us to do with urgency. And we have a call to prayer. I hope you're all engaged. Does prayer even matter to you? Does holiness matter to you? Have you come into a place where you're just kind of getting used to the dark? Used to the status quo, we can say, well, our church does this, our church does this. Listen, man, we may be a little bit um, above average in some areas, but we're nowhere near God's normal. We're nowhere near where we ought to be as individuals as a church. And I hope today as we think about this passage, we'll be stimulated to say, God, please, help us as a church not to be compromising. Losing our power, losing our influence, to even protest things that we know that are true and right and can be lived out. The wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Would to God that we would be righteous people. And may there be a righteous remnant in this church, not only today in 2022, but until we wait for our Lord Jesus to come from heaven. Young people, be right. Older saints, be right. Single saints, be single and be right. Married, children, everybody ought to keep the high level of faithfulness to the Lord and do all to stand in an evil day and having done all to stand. Let's pray together, can we?